Lisa. Hello, Alex, and hello, our lovely jubblet listeners. Lovely Welcome jubblet. to the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober. I am Lisa. And I am Alex. <laughs> and I am excited to be here today. Although Alex just said, um, I've got, my mind is blank. I've got nothing to speak about today. So I don't know whether to celebrate this moment or just stop recording. <laughs> celebrate it, right, because it means that the stage is yours and for once I am going to shut the hell up. <laughs> wow. I genuinely don't have anything going on, I don't think. Well, I do, but I don't know. Like By the time this podcast goes out, it'll have all happened and it just feels insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is insignificant. You know what I'm going to do? Because I ain't got anything to talk about either before um, our guest comes on. I am going to read one of um, my friends bought me this gorgeous little calendar and it's Good Daily Inspiration Vibes for Living Good, Your Best Life. I don't know whether I was supposed to read it like that. Basically, it says good vibes, good life. Daily inspiration for living your best life. But if you look at it, you can see why I oh, read yeah, it like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so basically, you don't really know what order to say the words in because they're not in order, are they? No, they're not for anybody that's just <laughs> listening. <laughs> it's not me. It's the equipment. It's my yeah. tools. For once, Lisa has the words. <laughs> <laughs> I've been good at getting the words. I love the fact, can we talk about one thing, actually, before you do read anything out of there? When you and me both read each other's mind and we couldn't remember the word that Ruth had said. I don't even know when, when or what you mean. So I won't go into detail of the conversation. Oh, yeah, the conversation. yeah. But basically, it was a word. a word to describe somebody. And all Lisa and I could remember afterwards was that it began with P. Neither of us, we liked the word. None of us knew what it meant. So if you're listening, no, we didn't Ruth, know what it meant. We don't know what it means. <laughs> Maybe it was a Welsh really word. Politely. I bet it, it was wasn't. A Welsh word. It wasn't a Welsh. Word. I bet it was. <laughs> it wasn't. She, she anyway. was throwing in some Welsh to trick us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we both sort of nodded along and smiled. And in context, we both feel like we knew what it meant. But in the car afterwards, I said, "Did you understand what that word was?" And she knew exactly what word it meant because <laughs> she also didn't understand it and went, "No." And I said, "And I know this isn't the word." I said, "But I've got a word in my mind beginning with P that I keep thinking it is, but I know it's not." And Lisa <laughs> said, "Yeah, yeah, I know." So we said, "Go on then." One, two, three, and we both shouted out, "Pedantic!" Yeah, and, and it, it wasn't weren't that, that word. word. I no. know what pedantic means. Anyway. Oh gosh, I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> I know someone. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Go on, read your thing. Anyway, it gives me daily inspiration and I really, really love it. So today's is a mind that holds on to fear assumes that things will go wrong, even though nothing has happened. A mind that holds on to faith assumes that good things manifest, even though nothing has happened. Both are blind, but they both build different outcomes. It's so true. I love that. I really, really like it. I love manifest. I manifested three print sticks today. What? <laughs> Honest <laughs> to God, Lisa, I did. Why did you manifest three, first of all? Right, before you go into what's happened, I need to know why you wanted three. Why can't you have one like a normal person? What print I needed more than three, actually. So I've got more to come, but I manifested three. So I'm, um, I'm doing a vision board workshop with my friend. I'm also going to be hosting one for Be Sober, which I'm excited about. We're going to be doing an online one. Um, anyway, we needed some print sticks and we sent each other voice notes about this. And then I thought, oh, I'll just look in this. 
this box in my conservatory and I opened it and there were three, a box of three unopened Pritt sticks. And you don't really know why you've got them? Well, I bought them last year when we were doing the vision board workshop, but I've not opened it since. So I didn't, I don't remember actually buying them, but I just thought, oh, I'm sure I've got a box of stuff. And there they were, three Pritt sticks. In the, vision, but in the vision board workshop box, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it weren't vision board works. It's not something I do all the time. No, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm being... my manifesting from last year has forwarded on to this year. That's what it is, though, manifesting. Yeah, it's it not about just sitting there and thinking, oh, I want a million pound, and then expecting it to knock on your door and go, oh, here, here I am, a million pound. You've got to put the things in place, haven't you? So yeah. it's putting out like the outcome and then putting the steps in place to get there. I love it. You're good at it though. No, but it's it's taken practice. I thought this, you know. Um I, I definitely am a glass half full person and I like to see I bet it I'm so annoying for people. Like, does it annoy you? Because well, I no, do I think see... I'm glass half full the majority of the time. I do think I have an element where, and I'm not saying you don't at all, I do think I have an um, an element of realism with a lot of things where perhaps you go, no, it'll happen. Um, but I do ah, think so you yeah, genuinely yeah. believe that. But I do no, think genuinely I've... you believe that. Well, it is real because it does happen. Everything has always worked out. Well, I know. I know because, <laughs> yeah, I know. And I also know that for you, it works like every time, like when you were going to win that car, when you won that car. I don't know whether yeah, that's, that's what I mean. So, so people that thought they were being real saying, oh, be careful, you might not win it. Well, they weren't real, were they? Because you because won it. I actually really won that car. And you believed you would from the moment you I knew. The I knew I was going to. I knew I would. So I'll just, <laughs> if we even got onto this. So I'm just going to like quickly before our guest comes say about this. So when I was 17, I went to a pub. <laughs> Believe well, it or not, a surprise. <laughs> ordered a Bacardi and Coke underage, <laughs> um, and I got a ticket to be entered into a draw for to win a Ford car, a brand new Ford car. They were the biz when they first come out, and the minute I got that ticket, I knew I was going to win it. Like I just knew it. Did you it. know before or when you bought it? No, literally when I got the ticket, I thought, "Oh my god, I'm going to win that." I didn't buy the ticket. I just went in for a drink and they said, oh, by the way, you get to go in this draw, spin oh. the wheel, you get so many entries. And I got one entry and I thought, I'm going to win that. And I just, I had this inner, inner knowing. I just knew I was going to win it. And I remember this little old man used to come in the pub, um, Leonard, and it, it was kind of a draw that it went down to the final 50 and I got a letter saying you're in the final 50 then the final 30 25 and then the final 10 all went I love that you got a letter that's how long ago it was yeah you got a letter (laughs) through the door a text or an email (laughs) (laughs) Um, and this little old man Leonard used to go oh but Lisa what if you don't? And I go, will you stop worrying? I can feel it. And I was that adamant that people thought it were fixed because I was so adamant that I was going to win that car. It's mad, isn't it? But you've I done know, that it's with mad. other stuff. You've done it with other things. I did it with a holiday. I won yeah. um, a holiday to Antigua and I knew the minute I got the ticket. But I've had other tickets and I've not known. It's weird because it, it was annoying. It weren't like an unrealistic belief to me. I just knew. So you weren't really manifesting it. That might just be psychic ability. 
Well, I have been a bit more psychic this year, you know. know weird you stuff's happening. We keep having weird connections, don't we? I and know. telling each other stuff and it's dead weird. It is. Oh my gosh, our guest is here. He is here, right. Um, right. Do you want to say who it is? Because, well, really quickly, last year when we did our first ever Be Wild, we had um, Fiona, who helped us organise it from Love Her Wild, got us some speakers and some people who de did demonstrations. And this particular person came and did an amazing talk. Um, and we got part of his story. And he is called the Fell Foodie. He yeah. is. I've got a little bit of a bio here that I've pinched off his website, which is amazing. So I'll just kind of read that before we let him in. Yeah, he demonstrated, um, didn't he? Before you do, before you do, he demonstrated how you can take all these fresh ingredients up onto a hill or anywhere and make a gourmet food. And I have to say, it I don't know whether I was really hungry or it was genuinely really nice, but I think it was oh, genuinely it was, really nice. Oh, it was so delicious. The talk was so good. It really was. Um, on his website and on his bio, I absolutely live, love this because he's outdoors all the time and he's a very proud Cumbrian. Um, he introduces himself in a short version, which he calls the Castle Crag version or the Scarfell Pike version. Oh, right, okay. It's one of them bigger than the other then. No, I'm joking, I know that. Go on. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, basically, like I said, Harrison is a very proud Cumbrian who has turned the mountainous landscape he calls home into his kitchen. So after discovering a passion for hiking in 2016 following a drastic life change, it wasn't long before a lifetime love of cooking was merged with his new vice. These days, he can often be found creating yummy... It doesn't say yummy. It says, I added yummy. I don't know why I did it. <laughs> it can be found creating <laughs> delicious right she's gone to pieces just hold on a minute just hold on a minute right breathe go Right, delicious restaurant-style meals on a minimal camping equipment up in the hills are voicing his struggles with mental health and alco alcoholism on various platforms and stages. One of them being our we'll be... Oh, I can't talk! Our be on our podcast. Just let him in, Alex. Let him I in. am letting him in. And for anyone who is listening, bear in mind, there are still tickets for Be Wild South available. There's a few left. 17th to the 19th of May. Get on our website and go to what's on be wild um harrison is on his way in and hopefully he'll be popping his camera on so we can see him and unmuting and saying hello hello how was that Hi, harrison. Yeah, that was great <laughs> good timing good timing Please, how are you both good good it feels well it's, it is a while since we saw you now isn't it it will be was it, was it the summertime or back into the summer may what was may, that, was that what was summer yeah, it was well, May. I know, I know, of course, of course. But May, was it really that long ago already? Yeah, yeah fantastic yeah. little meetup in Clifford wasn't it? Sort of little oh, uh, sober yeah. weekend up there. It's fantastic. Yeah, it so we just so literally good. said about how you turned these ingredients into, like, honestly, we were, obviously we were hungry because we weren't eating from home anyway. But you can just do some amazing things and you've got cookbooks and everything. Well, well, I have done since. Yeah, it's gone a bit banana since then. But it was a yeah, it was fantastic being there, sort of cooking up on the camping stove, sharing my stories to a fantastic group. And obviously, you lot were doing all sorts of outdoor activities, weren't you out there? And the weather was pretty good that weekend too. I think I remember as well. I it think was, it was hot, a yeah. So oh. all, all came together nicely. 
You know what, Harrison, we're going to ask you about your story and, and I'm really sorry, but we'd kind of like you to repeat what, what you said at the Be Wild event because it actually, it really blew us away. It blew everybody away. So I want you to do that. But firstly, I've got to say, my partner, Rob, is a massive fan of yours and he's so <laughs> jealous, right, <laughs> that I am talking to you. He's proper like, I can't say fangirling, but that is what he's doing in his life. Fanboying. <laughs> he's fanboying and when we saw you because we saw you at the Kendall Mountain Festival didn't we and honestly it went really quiet and I'm like what is going on with you <laughs> oh bless me that's, well, it shouldn't be like that at all I'm just some bloke from Carlisle that's all I am no, no, nothing else but uh, maybe we can have a chat after this finishes then yeah yeah he'll, uh, well he's at work now so we can't and what's even worse is I don't let him listen to the podcast either so. oh well that's it well just don't tell him I was on then <laughs> she's done next that bit. She's already tried to make him have FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so would you mind giving us a little bit of an introduction and, and sharing your story of how you got to eventually do your own cookbook and cook in the fells for Mary Berry? Well, of course. <laughs> there we go. There's a CV, isn't it? <laughs> um, of course, yeah. I mean, I suppose it goes right back to sort of childhood time, really, I guess. I, I mean, I'm originally from Cumbria, where I'm based now, but obviously a beautiful area known for sort of late districts and its mountains and the outdoors, but an area that I didn't really embrace for, for quite a long time. Um, school life and family life at home was all grand. There wasn't a particular trauma point for me as people often, you know, generally find in this sort of journey with alcoholism and you know, problems with, with substances. And for me, it was all, it was all pretty grand, but I found myself almost overnight um, during sort of puberty, I guess, teenage years being hit with this sense of self-loathing, this demotivation, insecurity and really a lot of the activities I enjoyed previously just weren't having that same joy and, and I didn't want it to be a burden I didn't want to bring other people down around me so I kind of put on this this mask if you will most days and could play up to that character that you previously were and didn't really know what I was going through I suppose back then as well there wasn't really a lot of the internet was quite in its infancy there wasn't a lot of male role models out there talking about these things and later down the line I, I found out this was the start of my battle with, with clinical depression so what, what was diagnosed later on and was really something that at its worst was, was me battling suicidal ideations, not wanting to be here at all. Uh, and just really, um, yeah, not knowing why, what I was going through or, or why this was suddenly occurring. So it suddenly felt like the cross to bear, something that I just had to sort of deal with, I guess. And this was now life going forward. And this continued all through my adolescence and obviously continues now. I wouldn't say it's a thing I've cured from, but something I definitely have learned to manage better. Um, as time's gone on. But during my sort of childhood and through my school years, I found myself also working in the hospitality trade. So I quite quickly found myself getting a job at a local pub um, near to myself, just doing sort of pot washing at the time, and which back a house, a bit of prep chefing in there, and then worked my way up into sort of waiting on at 18, working behind the bar in my local pub in the town so there you no know, sorry Harrison to interrupt yeah. you just Lisa's got a puppy so she does get up and down she's not ignoring you she's still listening carry on sorry <laughs> no don't worry at all for those, for those that aren't watching just listening I mean just to explain what's going on there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> brilliant stuff no make sure you get out for the toilet that's for sure <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah I found myself working behind the bar in this town um, in, in the pub in my local town and really this was really my first introduction to, to sort of alcohol I wasn't someone that was drinking um, sort of heavy amounts sort of in adolescence I wasn't someone that was down in the bike shed of the park with a bottle of cider. I'd had little bits obviously given at family gatherings and stuff that sort of way, but nothing really to excess at this point. It wasn't something that really enticed me. I mean, 
but working in the pub environment again being mixed with that sort of different crowd i really enjoyed the the social aspect of it i enjoyed the fact i was meeting new people and it quite quickly became quite a hub for activity so again we played football a couple of times a week and we'd always be going back there afterwards all bits in there again shifts i wasn't working i was finding myself going in there more often sort of spending time with those that i worked with or other colleagues and really I was enjoying the sensation that alcohol was also giving me. So at first, again, it was that couple of pints stumbling home, remember zero tolerance, sort of 18, you know, fresh off this into this British culture, a rite of passage, if you will. And um, again, that began sort of to build its tolerance. So two pints became sort of before five, six going out. And in most nights of the week now, I was heading out um, each day. And also really appreciating the fact that it was silencing those darker thoughts in my head for yeah. me, which was giving me that escape that really... Um, I hadn't, I hadn't wished on these sort of thoughts for myself and didn't really know how to sort of deal with them any other way. And it was kind of giving me that sort of brief brief escapism, I think, which is what I quite enjoyed. And also the social aspect. I wasn't stuck at home in my own four walls, just sit with my mind going on overplay and overthinking and bits into there. So that was my sort of beginnings of this sort of journey into the use of alcohol. And by the time I moved away to York for university, I was, I was a year later, 19, an extra year of studies, but I was also regularly sort of at, in the pub every night of the week at this point, drinking sort of maybe 10 pints um, quite often, sort of could hold my own, quite a big lad as well, I suppose. There was kind of that bravado to it as well, wanting to hold your own, wanting to have the hollow legs. And again, this all just came to me. I didn't see it as any, anything else other than British culture and sort of growing up, really, I guess. That sort of maybe transitional into that different generational side of things as well. The blokes went down the pub, mixed in there. It just felt very much like the setting I, I was going to, but... But moving away to York from that little sort of country town now into a bigger city, it was certainly a big city for me anyway. <laughs> it was it was it was rife with just sort of again, I suppose, opportunity. There was all of a sudden there was there wasn't bars shutting down at sort of ten o'clock on a Wednesday. Now it was all you know, things were open until two, three AM every night of the week and I could walk back mm. home and stuff. And so it really became a sort of kid in a sweet shop, I think, in that sort of area. I think I was constantly going out. University again, like that right of passage eighteen, that freshers week was all around social lubricant, all around that sort of liquid um gatherings and sort of meeting new people in different areas. So it was all revolving around that element. And it was already a lifestyle I quite enjoyed. Um but at this point, what was I was seeing as quite a medicinal tool for me um was starting to really cause further problems um with myself, I guess, going forward. And by the time I found another job in the hospitality trade in York now in another pub. So we were just working in the pub at the time, later on working up to, to running that pub. Um, again, it was very much a lifestyle I was trying to keep myself in. That was providing the capital, which was then funding me to go out, whether the studies maybe weren't as much. And quite quickly, I found myself not waiting for these social opportunities. A lot of time people were trying to go out and they maybe would go, oh, I'm not going out tonight, I've got something on, or I've got I've got my studies to finish tomorrow. And I'd be like, oh, I'd be fine, finish it when you get in. Yeah. <laughs> but just quite quickly found myself just going, well, I want to go out, so I'll go out by myself. And and before I knew it in this city, those 10 pints a day was, was ballooning to sort of the excess of as high as 20 pints at one point daily. I ballooned in weight to 22 stone. I'd taken up smoking, which I'd never touched before, at 18 as well, so from 20, 40 a day there. And was very much just sort of someone that was a bit of a nomad, I guess. I was, I was very much just a solo drinker going pub to pub after my shifts and just bouncing between different groups. And the purpose that no one really knew the extent of my actual drinking at this point. So from a quite quick period to sort of, you know, 18, um, just discovering this to sort of 20, it had already escalated to, to a point where there was um, quite some difficulties. Did, did you, you realise that, that at the time? Oh, sorry, sorry, I was yeah. just, that's what I was going to ask to say. Did you know at that point then? 
is what I was going to say that, that that you had you drank differently than other people. I, I didn't see any issue at, at all back then. So I think maybe perhaps the people I was hanging around with as well. I mean, a lot of them are good friends now, but there were certainly some acquaintances in that mix as well in that sort of pub trade environment. Everybody was drinking that you met in that environment. Yeah, I was living in the pub a few years after that as well. So I lived in that environment. Literally, I'd be working perhaps, you know, from doing the breakfast shift at 7am all the way through to close, you know, at 12 o'clock at night sort of thing. So constantly everyone you were mixing during that day was drinking as well. So yeah, it felt I think, as if a safe environment for as well. With us, yeah. like, you know, because we both grew up in pubs and then worked in pubs. Mm. When, when you're surrounded by alcoholics and you're normal compared to them, you don't see your own drinking. As, <laughs> it's quite moderate, your own drinking, isn't it? Because there's always someone worse, isn't there? There's always somebody drinking more. It seems so. I guess all those different times, perhaps people came in at different points. I mean, for me, I was someone that, again, not wanting to be that burden with my mental health. I never wanted to be that burden as a drinker either. So I was kind of someone that would... I drunk pints all the time. It's always pints. I never drunk spirits or wine because although I had times where it come, it come about, it was too quick a demise for me, I felt. It was almost me going sort of shuffling off and disappearing and going to a point of out of control. So again, I, even the drugs would come on the scene as well. For their, they, didn't, they were a bit too naught to 60 for me. I quite liked the slow and steady, almost controlled demise into this oblivion, <laughs> this mental oblivion yeah. that sort of pints gave me sort of thing at the time. So... But again, as that went in that sort of daily environment, it also meant you could socialise through the day. I managed to go and meet the old boys at 11 o'clock who were putting the bets on on the horse racing midweek. Then you meet the after-work crowd at sort of four or five o'clock and then they'd go home to tiddle at sort of eight, nine o'clock. And then, then I'd be going and meeting the evening crowd in town. And so different groups you were bouncing between that weren't particularly close friends, more people you knew that were going to be there. Yeah. And they maybe thought you had a couple of drinks before you turned up to them, not realising the fact you were already about 12 pints deep. You've been yeah. out all day, so it was, it was never really seen the full extent of what you were doing, and and even in that pub trade as well. And I was working that trade because I guess I, mean, I couldn't have been working an office job like this, turning up stinking of booze, red eyes, blaring iron, probably late every morning. I mean, just you would be fired; it just wouldn't happen. But in that environment, you perhaps was able to get away with it slightly more. Um, I was also, I suppose, you're drinking on shift quite a bit as well. Then we have a coffee cup behind the bar that would be pouring, and to the extent that when I got really sort of bad, maybe. Um, it was around 22 was when it was really the point where I was just brushing my teeth with the stuff. It was just constantly hair of the dog. I was never hung over because I didn't feel I ever really stopped. So I never got to the point of hung over. I was still I was still pissed, really, every morning I woke up. So, But quite a quick demise into really just because of my poor mental health, just trying to battle that in my own way and trying to really keep silent to avoid um, really the repercussions or the judgment I was fearing from other people. It's crazy. And I look back to like the pub days, and how normal it is to everybody that goes in pubs that that is your life you live it's such a different world isn't it and we used to even say it we'd be like oh it's a different world but not really associating that we was all pissed so I was at <laughs> always <college. laughs> always and like oh no I don't get anger over me it's because you're always having like hair of the dog it's and I remember going to college and I, I was studying counselling and I had like um, an assessment and I was really nervous about it. And I'd, so I'd finished my shift in the band. They was like, just have a Bacardi before you go. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, great idea. So I'd had a couple of Bacardis before I did this assessment. Never, ever even did it cross my mind that that was an issue. Never. No, Lisa, I, I agree with that because I, I had the same conversation the other day about something. So I think I mentioned to you, Harrison, if not, don't look shocked, pretend I did. I play the church <laughs> organ and 
um, I had a big. Well, it's event. all right. She mentions it to our listeners every week. The board of it now. The board of it. <laughs> don't give a shit. <laughs> we don't care about you, Argon. Anyway, so on the um, at Christmas, I had to do a really big carol that I'd never done before, and I kept doing it wrong and wrong and wrong every single rehearsal. And it's the only time in a long, long time before I played it on midnight on Christmas Eve. Everyone else in the congregation had obviously had a few wines. It was Christmas Eve, and I actually thought. I'd have probably had a drink to deal with this and numb that down. And they actually, it's so counterintuitive because, yeah, all right, I might have felt a little bit more relaxed, but it's also, and, and not giving two hoots, but it's also not going to, you're not going to be sharp, are you, to be able to do it properly if you're a couple of drinks in. But I 100% would have had a drink to deal with something like that. Ooh. To be fair, you wouldn't have been a church organist had you still been a that drinker. That is very true. I'd have just been a piss pot somewhere. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Harrison, what I want to ask you then, did anybody ever pick up on this or was it you that decided that enough was enough? I mean, this was still very, I mean, at this point, there was no, there was no intentions to sort of leave this behind. Um, so you can hear there's, there's, a, there's a jet flying over me at the moment. Um, <laughs> I want to live where you live. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful part of the world, the Lake District, for sure. It's, it's all obviously, well, I'm sure your place as well, they're all dusted with snow as well. Yeah. Quite dusting come down, but the, the REF jets tend to fly over every now and again, do the training through a year. So hopefully that's so. Uh, that'll be the start of a few, no doubt, in this, uh, in this podcast. But at the time... <laughs> Yeah, no, no one really sort of um, cared. I guess you mix in with that crowd that I suppose are all in that sort of world too. I mean, looking back, that was a realisation in itself in the early days of sobriety for me, that a lot of people that I used to hang around with perhaps were people that were struggling as well, that hadn't yeah. really come to terms yet, or the fact that, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't go and intervene and say, look, you've got a problem. They had to come to terms with themselves. But looking back, I was going, well, they're in the same hole I was. They just haven't come to terms with it. Yeah. Really. But for me, it was something that I think was definitely... Um, a personality trait. I think I enjoyed the fact I was a big drinker. I think it was part yeah. of me. I was kind of, you know, put, put a lot in the wave in the university crowd being a year older. I was sort of the older statesman who was there going, he drink anyone under the table sort of thing. And they wanted yeah. to go out and do pre-drinks in the flats and sort of get absolutely blotted and spend little money as possible. I was like, no, no, I really enjoyed the social. So I'm going to go and meet, you know, Dave and, and Chizzy down the pub at 11 o'clock. And then I'll meet you in the clubs later on at nine because I, I want to enjoy sort of the, the social aspect, which again was just all fueled by that. So it, it, there was a bit of tradition in there as well. I quite like the traditional aspects of it too, where yeah. being in the environment, I liked the old pubs as opposed to the clubs and the bars. I enjoyed the the the, the conduit for conversation that it was. But in, in myself also, it was kind of shutting off my own head, which if I left it to its own devices, would kind of take this negative spiral down. But it was certainly noticed, I think, in terms of the fact that I was, I was a big drinker. I don't think people saw it as a, as a problem. Again, perhaps when people are quite big drinkers themselves, maybe they don't look at it that sort of way. And a lot of people in there, I think that I wouldn't see them as, I wouldn't see them as, as, as on the realms of alcoholics or something in the pub, some of them as well. I think they were just people that did, you know, probably slightly problem drinkers or maybe people that just liked a binge every once a week. They, were, they felt as if they were quite controlled. They'd go to work five days a week, absolutely fine. They wouldn't drink through the week and then they'd come out Friday and have a blowout. And that felt as if it was quite a, they had control in a way to me where I was going, oh no, there's an A in the day. So that's it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be else. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't wait. I mean, I want to do this now. Like it's kind of, I always want to tick the boxes and get that quota in. But, um, but friends and stuff at home as well, they weren't particularly ever big drinkers, even from 18. There was, there was the, I suppose the, um, what's you call it? The, the commotion of going 18 and being legally allowed to go to the clubs for the first time. That was kind of a big thing. And then after that, they kind of all settled down and they, they, they seemed to commit to life quite well where I was going, hang on a minute. What's this? I, I like, I like, going out why aren't you going out and 
so the friends at home, whilst I kept those relationships, they they were certainly not someone that would go out, we're going to go for a skinful uh, when we meet back. It was maybe a couple of social drinks and they'd want to go home and I'd be going, eh, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> coming, coming back from the pub, we'd drive and have a few pints when they were going, I'm going to go. I'm like, oh, you want to have a pint now? Can't go. I was definitely that pusher. I get, get that. You know, when I used to work behind the bar, mm. I could never understand tea time drinkers, how they went on. So they would come in after work, have a few drinks. That's and what then... you mean, you couldn't understand tea time drinkers. And then you <laughs> went, how they went home. <laughs> no, I, it really used to shock me because I knew that if I started drinking at tea time, that would be me I'm out, out yeah. all night. And they used to just go, right, go in now, see you later. And I'd be like, but you've had a few pies. Why are you going? Why would you do that? What? Why would you want to be at home? <laughs> and there were definite individuals who just did tea time drinking, weren't they, Lise? You know, like, yeah. 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 yeah, we used to have a tea time crowd. Like, it was one of the busiest. Of the, I don't know whether they still do that, really. But in, in our pub days, it was like a really banter time. They'd come in after work, have a bit of banter, a few pints, and then off they went home to have the tea made by the wives it was such a sexist time sometimes <laughs> tea was brought into the pub right oh yeah sometimes yeah, that one one woman you came up from down the road and um because her That's husband was in the pub at tea time and i remember she slammed a full sunday roast on the t- on the bar and was like you might as well fucking have your tea as well she even brought gravy in a cup for him i know oh, and i remember no. stood there going um are you gonna eat that because if not <laughs> <laughs> Oh my oh, god! Yeah, true story. <laughs> yeah, that same sort of mentality. I mean, I think you know, it was just you have that big sort of group that would come in. That's it. I mean, a lot of them, I think, you would also see had intentions of maybe going home, but then would yeah. suddenly suddenly be there till the end of the day, and they'd be like, "We're having a bit of a lock in tonight." And various bits of going, "Oh well, fine. Yeah, we'll stay up for a bit longer for you." Close yeah. off, and, and it was kind of yeah. It, there was a lot of people who didn't have that. Well, I don't think it was willpower because I don't think there was the, there was ever the. The want for the willpower. Yeah, you don't. Kind of, you're not thinking about stopping, so you don't need no. willpower. That's just life. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. I think. I think you sort of. Yeah, I mean, but just a very different, very different attitude to those who can just go for one or two. And then even sort of the fact that now, I suppose, being sort of sober and things, you get the people still the current maybe going. You're not just have one or two now, and you think. And I also think, well, what what was the point in one or two? Yeah, why? Like it was like, well, yes, I, I did appreciate the taste of some drinks. I appreciate the craft that went into some drinks as well. But I'd also take whatever was going. I'd also have, you know, <laughs> the, the drip tray into a glass if that was what's going at the time. It was, it wasn't really, I wasn't bothered. So I suppose at the time, as my food, I was very similar. I think it was basically getting whatever I could get. But if I wanted to eat something, it would be a bit nice that I'd maybe crafted up at home. But it was those two two realms. But yeah, there was just having one or two for just just for the sake of that. I was kind of going, well, there's no sensations that there's no feeling. Perhaps that was just because of maybe tolerance, but it was going. I'm not. Well, I'm not getting what I'm setting out to achieve here. I, the, what I want yeah. to achieve here is kind of this shutting off this this mind shutting off completely, and uh, and really being um, yeah having a a brief interlude from 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 the world. It was kind of it was yeah. a, a strange one, really. So that was kind of like earlier, and then how did that then progress into you going? Hang on a minute something's got to change. So what happened in that interim bit then? Yeah, so I mean, so this is around sort of, um, sort of well, 2021 sort of time, very early on um, in that period where, again, I, I was kind of still, I suppose, working out myself a bit as well where I was. I was kind of, I suppose, it was, it was maybe hidden slightly the fact that you sort of, well, it's just, it's just, it's just a young lad 
Again, I know he's only having a few too many, but it's kind of, it's again, it was all kind of just under the carpet slightly. And I yeah. think because I was quite sort of, you know, broad, big chap, again, putting a few away, it wasn't seen as, as, as much of an issue um, in there. But but I had sort of my battles. I mean, at 21, I had a moment that could have been a major point of change, really, where I had a lot of friends come to visit me for a particularly big celebration, maybe uh, maybe maybe five five day bender, which was quite run of the mill for me. But then, but for them, it was quite of a big thing. And, yeah. um, and, and one by one, they started going home from this city, and and, and really, it, it began to dawn on me really how, how how alone I actually was in this city. I was I, I was so yeah. I, I did have I certainly had friends and friends now from York. I mean, a lot of love for me in York, and I love going back even now, even though it doesn't it feels distant, but it there's still a lot of connection there, but there was a lot of people in there that perhaps just as part of the lifestyle that's went around. I mean, there was a point where I think looking back, it was bartenders and takeaway owners were perhaps the people I interacted with most. And you're thinking, well, there's always a, there's always a trade there, isn't there really? It's not exactly, it's a, let's meet up on the weekend. It's kind of like, you're coming in, you're going to spend some money. So that's why we're chatting. Yeah. But, but heading home this night, I felt so alone in this city and, um, Again, I've been battling sort of my own existence a bit as well. That's why alcohol was kind of keeping myself on ice to a way. I felt like it was it was the medicine that was almost keeping me here, really. I felt like I didn't want to, again, be that burden. I didn't want to, you know, I suppose, commit the ultimate act and try to leave that pain behind other people. So it kind of felt like I was just sedating myself um, just to be here. So I was just constantly on autopilot, really. But one particular night heading home again, four in the morning, I didn't have a phone at this time either. I didn't like being contacted. I was very reclusive. I just like to do my own business and didn't like people getting involved. And so perhaps some signs were there that I was kind of on a path that I knew perhaps wasn't that acceptable, but it was kind of not really accepting that. Um, Can I just I, say there, Harrison, yeah. isn't it weird that like one of the things that you loved and wanted to do was the social side of it but then also without realizing it was taking that away and you was being a bit of a recluse and, and isolating you yeah it? and isolating yourself so we it just shows that we think that alcohol gives us them things but actually it takes them away doesn't it and it's really interesting to hear that uh, yeah I, th- I think that was the fact I mean the the fact I was away and moved away as well, I think I think I found it more of a bit of a, a safer space to go through this aspect. I mean, I, I definitely had that 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 huge fear every day of sort of if I, I had it been that had I been out of hand, had I been out of character, I was always someone that was very conscious to how I was acting, even though I was trying to get myself absolutely blocked and out of control. Yeah. I didn't want to be out of control. Yeah, I wanted to be out of control. It was kind of both ways. It was as I mentioned before, it was sort of that slow and steady demise I was going through a lot of the time. Um but doing this in a different city, I guess, it was people that you you weren't bumping into sort of your, your mum's mates down the street that you yeah. know were younger and bits and there. It was kind of it was a different crowd in a way that you felt as if you can act a bit differently. And I almost cut myself off from my previous upbringing in a way. So that was kind yeah. of that that was maybe what it was. I think you almost start again a little way, couldn't you, in this sort of pattern yeah. there, sort of different even though I had nothing really I'd just come out of you know teenage years, nothing to really start again from. Um but heading home this particular night again, it just it just really all came to a head for me, and, and I've been battling particularly poorly, um, just really masking my feelings. I think with the drink constantly, and came through a particularly bad patch, as it would. I mean, at this point, the medicinal tool I was using it for was now becoming more of a poison for me, and the whole depressant aspects of of substance was kind of now taking me down further. And because yeah. my tolerance was so high. You know, I wanted to reach that point of euphoria that I used to get when I was younger. That sort of, you know, that two, three pints, that nice sort of fuzzy feeling before slipping off into that sort of darkness where I've gone to. That then was taking, you know, more now, well, 
18, 19, 20 pints to get to that point. Yeah. But each morning as well, because I'd had that amount, I'm not starting at ground zero anymore. I'm starting sort of 10 feet underground. So yeah. just to get back to feeling normal, it's taken me like eight pints before I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just a zombie. So I'm drinking eight pints like water and then feeling sort of like, right, I'm okay. I feel like I'm me again now. And then you start again trying to reach that point. You thought it's never got there. And that's sort of, it always, there was a really good animation you see about this sort of stuff that, that, that the, the light that he, that he gets when he has this little drink, he lights him up and as time goes the on. The little it's bird a, one. That's yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, great, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah, a duller and duller yeah. light as time goes on. It's not giving him the same hit, but he's still chasing it. And that's exactly where I was. And now it wasn't providing that escape for me. And really I was starting, my mind was starting to win again. And this particular night, four in the morning, picked up a payphone to my mum and, and just made a call. And I had one intention really. And it was just to say, just to say goodbye. I, I didn't feel as if I could oh, carry on. I felt as if that. it was just alcohol was not providing that escape for me anymore i was just constantly battling my own head which again was no no affliction of my own just just literally an overnight thing through puberty and it wasn't providing that escape so i mean that was nearly a moment of change there i mean i was taken back came back to cumbria did seek some medical help at the time um i suppose i was put on various channels but but i wasn't willing to change i, I quickly booked a train ticket back to york and carried on this same lifestyle for another another four years just constantly just drinking myself wow. to oblivion each did day. you make the decision to go back to Cumbria or did you get saved? And I say that in inverted commas in that instance. We'll get back to our chat shortly, but first let us tell you about Be Sober. At Be Sober, you'll find a supportive community of like-minded people who understand and support you. Energize your mind and body with our fitness sessions. Discover the power of mindfulness with Be Sober Yoga. Engage in vibrant discussions, workshops and support groups with thriving Zooms. Be Sober really is the ultimate community, whether you're sober for a short time, contemplating it, or have long-term goals of making meaningful connections. It's a place where you can find your tribe and create lasting friendships. Take the first step towards an empowered and connected sober lifestyle. Join us today at BeSoberOfficial.com. It, it was my, yeah, the last friend that was there, my friend Jamie, was still in York with me, and I think basically... I'd come in in the early hours and just said what I said, what I'd said, obviously with the influence to him saying, I've just made this call home. And sort of, again, I don't really think I, I really wanted to go through it. I think it was more, it was my white flag in a way a little bit. I think I was just trying to get to the point where, look, I'm considering this very heavily now. And this is now, yeah, perhaps you guard down slightly because you are pissed and you sort of go, right, look, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be a bit out of control here. And the next minute I'm in his car, staring at the window, driving home to Cumbria. So I didn't drive at the time, very spoof, thank God. Um, probably couldn't afford a train back. And literally, I'm in the passenger seat getting driven back. And so sort of obviously, oh. and I was, I think I was really pissed off in a way. I was pissed off. I'd let my guard down. I, I sort of felt as if I, there's a chink in my armor now. I'd let people into this world I was hiding. And, and now people, they, they went through the whole period of people asking if you were all right a lot more and you were going, I don't want this necessary fuss. It's just like, just even though it wasn't necessary, of course, it was people looking out for me. But for me, I just wanted to just get on with my business. It was kind of just having the minimal impact or what I thought was the minimal impact. Because as we know with alcohol, of course, there's a fantastic quote that says it's a brilliant dissolvent and it's a dissolvent of um, relationships, dissolvent of finances, never a dissolvent of problems. And around me, of course, the impact was being had, even though I wasn't aware of the fact the impact was being had on friends and family and the ultimatums began to come as time went on. People perhaps see the way you're acting. And you know, I was never really, never aggressive drunk. I was never someone who was verbally or physically aggressive, but I was certainly unreliable, but I'm making a bit of a show of myself or, um, or, or, not, or not, not rocking up in various bits. But again, 
that lot went to be a burden was now very much a burden on other people. But I took myself back to York, continued this exact same lifestyle for another four years. And, and it was really only then that uh, finding myself in a relationship and really battling the two of being in a relationship quite heavily with alcohol that was 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 a huge part of my daily occurrence. I mean, I had to reach my quota, as I call it, each day. My quota of my shut-off that would get me to that point of feeling that I was that was free and almost floating off into space, I guess. And also the relationship with her. And of course, the two would constantly rub on each other, cause friction. And um, and ultimately, um, yeah, I went out one night under the influence. I'd always go back out and drink on it. I wouldn't face the argument. I went back out one night and acted unfaithfully to this partner. And, and, and rightly so, it was the end of that relationship. But it also was a huge, a huge dawning period for this whole cycle of not wanting to cause pain to anybody else through what I was going through. I'd now done the exact opposite. And it was a real crumbling of my foundations below me in a real sort of epiphany really of the fact that what who I believed I was as a person was being compromised now I felt I was very honest I felt I was very loyal I felt I was someone that you know yeah. in good stead and I was acting the opposite way I'd hurt someone that I loved dearly something I really wanted in life was to share life with somebody else and and alcohol taking that away from me in a way even though I couldn't blame the alcohol because it was my actions but it was certainly um, you know, a, a, an incentive towards it. And it really it snapped me out of that lifestyle. So that was the 6th of June, 2016. And literally, I suppose initially to try and win her back, I mean, I won't lie, I think that was my intentions at the time. <laughs> but it was, um, I vowed to quit alcohol and, and threw my last pack of cigarettes in the bin and, and tried to get clean from there. So of course, the level of consumption I was having at that time, not medically advisable to just completely go cold turkey overnight. Yeah. But, I think just my whole life felt as if it had just fell beneath me. And, I, and I you literally like, did that? That's it? Everything in one go? Yeah, sugar in my coffee I gave up as well, I think, just to make it a bit harder. No, same, you didn't. <laughs> at the same time, but it was... Um, but yeah, oh, literally... Hell. I went to work, I and mean, the story I always tell him, I mean, obviously, obviously jokes when he hears it, but um, I went to work the next day on the 7th of June, I was doing the breakfast shift, and I, and I cooked the breakfast for the people in the hotel side of the pub, and my boss came up to me and said, you, don't, you know, you don't seem yourself today. And I just broke down in front of him, just completely, just completely broke down in this emotion of what had gone. Because it's all the previous night, of course, this relationship's ended. This has all gone on. Oh, I got yeah. to bed sober for the first time in what six years, and well, not sober, but but but, but I hadn't continued drinking through the yeah. evening, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, that's probably I, I, what I noticed as well, isn't it? That you were just—that's why why I thought when you know I did a bit of a <laughs> then because I bet he thought what's going on here I bet you were different even though you had the emotional stuff I bet you were physically different just with one night and not having your top up well perhaps, well, perhaps yeah perhaps you know yeah. you're feeling the hangover for the first time in your life maybe or first time in a long while and, uh, <laughs> and just obviously Norman basically he said and I just broke down in front of him and he said go take a minute outside for yourself and, and I sat outside I remember staring at this brick wall and and literally oh. I didn't come back in uh, and my colleague actually came on to take over the afternoon shift at three o'clock so this is about eight o'clock in the morning I'm still sat outside just staring at this wall and he comes straight out of a pint and goes, here, get this down and this will sort you out. And I just looked at him and I said, I, I don't drink anymore, John. Oh. He said, you what? I said, I don't drink anymore. And he just sort of stood there and just sort of looks perplexed and just paused for a while and just sort of then like shrugged his shoulders and turned around and walked in again. And a very close friend of mine still to this day, but, you know, I think he was just so bemused at the fact this chap had been sat at the end of the bar literally every night that he'd known him from a human vacuum cleaner everything that was going I'd just sort of take it up and yeah. have it all there and it's literally overnight I'm not drinking anymore John 
and that was really the start. I mean, it was literally the six, so the 6th of June was the day I've had to quit alcohol and, and from I've not had a drop since to this day from that point, but it was very much a cycle that, of course, you know, there's more to this that's going to come, of course, but it, it certainly wasn't like that was it. It's easy as that. It was It was some of the hardest months going by that I've, I've, I've been through, I think, going through that period, but I think it was just for me the fact that I felt I wasn't me anymore. It, it yeah. just taken such a hold of me without me really knowing that this catalyst for me trying to just get through life was now affecting everything around me, including myself and, and finances and all sorts. And and I just felt, yeah, at your core of who you feel you are, so when you write down a bit of paper, I wasn't yeah. that person anymore. And there was only real reason for that. And that was, that was, that was the excess of my drinking. And it was, yeah, it was a real, um, it was, it was like an epiphany moment. It was just completely like you just, it breaks down all sorts, just a complete um, vulnerability. And the, the whole life you built up just completely disappeared. And with all those years of who you felt you were, yeah, stripping that away, and all of a sudden that was a huge part of who I was, and it was gone. I think it's such a, an important and brave thing to talk about because um, in drinking and I suppose in the sober community, it's not something that we do all talk about, but it does take away who you are, your values, your loyalty, things like that. And I know it's like you said, it? Yeah, yeah. Steals you. but one, one of the reasons I believe that I used to wake up so, so anxious after a night out was because of that, because I wasn't being who I truly was on the night before. So I was being like this kind of out there. I was a bit louder. I was fun. That's how I thought I was. But yet the day after I would hate myself I was a snogger as well I used to just randomly snog people like and then that anyone no joking in, <laughs> no, it, it pretty much were it pretty much were and I would get your goggles on and be like I really fancy them and my friends would be like really I'd be like yeah yeah <laughs> I'm gonna snog them but you know what that is not I never ever I can hand up say go out now and think I fancy snogging them because I just don't <laughs> that is not doing who that I am having a walk through the Lake District and going oh I'm gonna go and get them walking up and <laughs> sitting, on, I'm so yeah it's a different time now because well, I have a bad name you know <laughs> it's a different time now Lisa as well I mean there's all that preemptive consent and all sorts now I mean just mean if you get away with it <laughs> yeah, I'd probably get done now. And, and what my daughter said to me last night: just because you've said yes once doesn't consent it any other time. So there you go. You're going to okay. consent on that yeah, one. That's true. <laughs> but I do. I think it takes a. And I wish so much. Like, so how old was you then when you made that decision to stop drinking? So I, I was 25 then. I think so. 25. I was 26 later in that year, but 25. And I think this was something that as. as as the next sort of chapter comes, where really the, so the main change went on, this was something I noticed a lot when I went to I went to some group therapy at one point. I was in AA for a bit, which I didn't I didn't fully identify with a lot of the time, but I really appreciated that being in a room of like minded people who perhaps could understand what you were going through yeah. or understand the aspects you'd done. Because I think my friends and family were hugely supportive. Before I get out to that bit, I mean, again, I, I came within the first couple of weeks, I basically came clean with what I'd gone through on, on my personal Facebook at the time. I just, I think, cause I felt this isn't a move I ever push people towards. I think that they're certainly speaking out to someone. You should always speak to someone going through these bits, but perhaps not publicly like I did. But I think for me, cause I felt so, I was so vulnerable and so at my rock bottom at this point. And also because I'd hurt somebody that I really loved. I felt as if 
you know, I was collateral in this really. I think I almost had to put my hands up and take accountability for my actions. Yeah. So I think <clears throat> I, I felt I had two options at the time, which was kind of one was shuffling off this mortal call that I wanted to do so often, which felt as if it was me running away from what I'd done in a way, which is not not me slighting that sort of for anybody else going for these issues, because of course it's something I've battled for throughout my life. But also the other side was kind of going, look, I, 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 I'm going to try and make amends here. And yeah. basically I said that I left that city overnight. So I lived in New York for seven years. I didn't say goodbye to anybody. I'd obviously lost my girlfriend. I quit my job, left my flat, up sticks and came back to Cumbria. I put on a personal Facebook at the time, the reasons why I had to do that. And the support I got from people at that moment was, was, was I'll never forget. It was just, it was just yeah. huge. And fearing that burden so much, fearing that judgment from people, you know, perhaps, and ultimately this was, you know, alcohol was providing this outlet for me, but there was a root cause for this for me. It was, it was, my, it was the depression and mental health for me. Yeah. I think coming on to the AA bit, a bit later, that, that's sometimes where I think that was a little lost at times. Sometimes it was always alcohol being the blame, but it was like, why are you drinking in the first place at times? Yeah. What, what are you trying to mask? Yeah. Whether it was problems at home or relationships or, you know, uh, mental bits or whether it's financial stresses, work, there's, there's usually a reason behind why you found that outlet. And the support I got back from that moment again was just something I could never really replace going forward. But again, it basically, I tried to throw myself into fitness as a means of trying to get through this, trying to fill that void in my life that was a huge part of each day. So even doing a short field hobby, it wasn't really going to fill that void. So again, I tried to head out sort of, you know, I was going to walks, I was going out to the gym, I took my old bike out of the shed again, I was heading out there. And, and friends was if you turn up at my doorstep, because I was still, I went back to my mum's where my family home. And um, they knew where it was. So they literally turned up on the doorstep unannounced and be like, let's have a phone at this point, I think. And I, I, did, I did that. I didn't use it too much. But, <laughs> and um, they turned up and be like, right, well, we're, going on this, we're going to join you on these activities. Sort of thing. We're going to go out cycling with you. We're going to go and walk on this. And it was also for we wasn't revolving around booze. But on the other side, I, I'd taken myself medically for more help at that point. I, I then was pushed on to um, some, some sort of... Um, substance abuse therapy, which then later became group therapy, which I later found out was, was AA really. They sort of pushed me on towards that path. And, yeah. And, um, and I, felt, I did find that a very good environment to be. I, I felt as if there was, there was a lot you could talk about there that friends wouldn't understand. Again, not being drinkers at all, they really were, but just not understanding the lengths you'd go to to find drinks in there. Um, you know, even sort of waking up on a piss-soaked mattress every morning, just, you know, in, in constant that sort of way because I was drinking that mm -hmm. much liquid all the time and just, and just literally... But just bonkers looking back, the lifestyle you're going through, just this, 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 almost behind this, this room I was renting in, in York. When I was living in the pub, it was kind of a life that you kept behind that closed door and tried to put on that sort of right. We're into that sort of the social mode now, a work mode that was also then whilst trying to drink yourself to the point where you couldn't, you couldn't walk home each night. It was kind of, it was just a very, very bizarre cycle, but also one that I think I hid under the closet of darkness quite a bit in that period. I think, yeah. Hiding amongst it, but it was, um, yeah, a huge, huge point of change there. And I think one that going forward that I saw all that was available to me, but that support I got from people speaking out was definitely one of the biggest things for me. I've said it's so long of trying to keep this in, in, inside and keep this silent, and finally, really revealing that was was really the reason for change for me. And I appreciate that's a privilege as well, having that support network. And yeah. The point I was making before I went off a tangent, I do this a bit, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. all right, you're in the right place. You're in good company, yeah. You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned the age figure. That's what I was getting to with the AA bit. I thought, I, thought I, better, I better feel like gapping. <laughs> I better feel like gapping before that bit. Um, but there, of course, I was in a room with a lot of people who are a lot older generally, who yeah. come to terms with this a lot later in life. And there was a bit of guilt in there as well. I think the fact that a lot of them were looking around and going, 
you know, I wish I'd come to terms with this earlier. The fact yeah. that I, I've, I've come to terms with this later in life and now I've, I haven't got much life left or whatever, which of course they've got a lot of life left. But in, in the grand scheme of the cycle, it was they were looking back a lot more wasted years and they felt a lot more regret as part of it. I think a lot more beating themselves up about it rather than trying to move forward. It always felt as if yeah, they were sort of flogging themselves in a way. And it was it was a difficult space. I mean, I think there was a lot of value to that to that room, I think, and it's helped so many people on that steps. I mean, I, I didn't stay too long. Um, found I went on my own journey, on my own sort of 12 steps in the end, which, which, but I, I always felt looking around the room that everyone was very much blaming alcohol as, as the reason their life had gone out of control, but never looking at the reasons why they started drinking in the first place. Whereas I guess you'd kind of taken responsibility for your drinking, made the changes and felt quite, um, and Lisa, when I say this, you know, like there's the whole powerless over alcohol thing, but I get a sense from talking to you that you took control. You feel that you felt very powerful, even though you may not have felt it immediately. Certainly, now you took control and and you take you took responsibility. I think it was it was it was powerless when you were using for me almost in a way, wasn't it? I think it was the minute the minute I had that first drink that was the day done. Yeah, as, as Lisa said before, it was kind of that was the day. That's all that day was ever going to do was just now become a drinking day. Yeah. So when, when sometimes I had jobs to do in the first thing in the morning, maybe head down to the bank and various bits, and then literally. Four in the pub at maybe 10, half, 10, 11. And then that was it. The day was finished. And that was it. It was just me drinking all day long then. Um, so there was certainly that bit. I mean, I, I certainly I didn't have that switch off. But I think when I, when it sort of tried to get left behind, then again, as you say, I suppose there was grabbing a bit more about it. It wasn't hanging over me so much every day where I think wearing that label can be quite a, quite a burden for some people as well. And Yeah, you're great. You know, and I think, yeah, and I think if you're going to look back on regret you know you, you like you've just alluded to there's not very much room for looking forward with hope is there you know a lot of it is hope and you're muted Lisa but I can see you're trying to speak sorry I think I'm a person that does both so I look when you said 25 there is such a big part of me that thinks wow I wish that I'd have done that at 25 I'd have saved myself a lot of unhealthy snogs and regret <laughs> and anxiety and all of them things and I think it's amazing and there is a part of me that wishes so much that I'd done it but also I love that I've now done it. And what I love about our group is that we've got um, older members that have joined Be Sober. Um, <laughs> Alice is laughing because I called one of our members 70 last week and she's not, she's 60. <laughs> I did 10 years on. Kind of, yeah, but I know what Lisa, th I think I know what Lisa's going to say though, so I'll shut up. <laughs> well, I forgot now because I could see you giving me the was, eyes. What she was, I think this is what you were going to say is that even though they're older and they've spent a lot of the time drinking, they've still got that looking ahead because that's how our group does yeah, it. Yeah, they're, so, they're excited and they're glad they've done it. But I also really get that, like, I went to an AA meeting with my ex-partner and sat there and I straight away was like, I know it's really helpful for some people, but I was like, I cannot sit here and listen to all these regrets of... Like there were stories being told of of stuff just going over and over the same shit that they've done every single kind of week. And I just find that really difficult. So I kind of get what you're saying, but I also regret not drinking, but I also look forward, if that makes sense. I'm an anomaly. <laughs> an anomaly. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think regardless of age there as well, I mean, I think I certainly felt as if that sobriety date for me was almost like I was starting again. There was some lost years in the past. Yeah. I'm sure for many people that regardless of age, it feels yeah. the same because it almost feels at the point that you don't 
you stop just trying to exist and you start trying to live. Yeah. In a way, because I think you put you are literally you are putting yourself on ice. You you are you are the liquid you're pouring onto the ice at the time. You're kind of just leaving yourself there, sedating, steady on, just getting through the days, battling for whatever affliction you've got at the time. Really, just trying to find a bit of happiness with that with that slight euphoria hit that you get into that substance. That again, as tolerance builds, is further and further away. But coming out the other side, it's a very different path because I think you are you are sort of stripping that back and trying to actually rebuild and look and look ahead. And so, as long as you aren't looking back completely with those constant regrets and the ball and chain and carrying it through life of going, look what I've done, I've ended up beating yourself up for years because. There's definitely a period of that. I think that you have to come to terms with maybe your actions and things, and tr- and definitely those sort of twelve steps in a way. I, mean, I didn't, I didn't ever religiously followed them, but looking back, the journey I went on in myself, I looked back and thought I followed a similar path in a way. Yeah, there was elements I where I did that. seek forgiveness from people. There was where I tried to make the apologies, and even now that that twelve step of trying to give back to other people, I see that as very yeah. much as why I share my story. Yeah, just trying to always do that sort of thing, and so you know, in a way, that that thing, I think that structure you naturally do, yeah, you? it does, it does have set up. Um, yeah, I, agree I agree with that. that. Let's talk about going forward then, because I, yeah, I was I, just going to say because that was seven years ago, but you've had yeah. like a forget regrets, <laughs> you've had a whole million years in your seven now, so don't be greedy for more. <laughs> I, I was reading before um, that the, your, your cooking basically started with taking extravagant pat lunches. Is that right for for your hikes? The, the cooking outdoors bit did definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'd always loved my cooking from a young age. Cooked like my grandmother growing up, and really loved that. Those memories of of the, the kitchen and food being being that conduit for conversation. The fact that again, back when it was maybe the Sunday roast and everyone would come in the house and all the blokes would go down the pub and everyone was sat. I'd be in the kitchen with the the matriarchs of the family, if you will, sort of you know helping cook, being the eldest yeah. cousin at the time, and really strong memories of that. I think looking to different cultures abroad and stuff, it feels like they still have that connection a bit, and we've moved away more from it. And even where maybe a bit that's why the, the pub felt a bit like a hub for me in that way, where it felt like it's one of the yeah, reason to constantly move away into more individualism in this country where the pubs and the traditions we used to have did feel as if there was community in there. There perhaps yeah. were people that were kids um, in sweet shops as we were at the time, but there's others in there that did use it just as a hub to go and see people and do those like the league club a little bit down there or just play darts one evening a week and there was bits on that. So food and that around the kitchen table had that similar feeling where it just felt very community based and, and very much somewhere that people would share and join and catch up and, and a happy times. I guess often it was people coming in family from further afield and you'd be spending the time with them. So really enjoyed that from quite a young age and found myself taking on a little bit of a, a self scholarship into the cookbooks and television shows and stuff from a young age. And I never trained, even though I was in the hospitality trade from 13, I was just watching other people and listening and talking and worked through, the trade, even to my time in York, I guess I worked with some fantastic chefs around there, but I was always mainly front of house rather than back of house. Um, as opposed to a brief spell in the management days when I wasn't a chef and I was put in the kitchen by the boss and I was like, Do you want to ask if I can cook first? You know, that might, might help. <laughs> Next bit, I was in there for about three months, but a very different thing being being a chef in a commercial kitchen to what I'd call myself, which is a cook. I've never trained, I, I feel it's a very different sort of um, yeah, um, position, but. The times in New York, of course, I still really appreciate it. I like the drinks. I still appreciated the great food. I still appreciated the craft that went into great food. 
But at that point, I was more likely to be fueling on some chips in the basket, you know, that were left at the side of the kitchen or yeah. a bag of dry roasted from behind the bar. Just, and otherwise, it was all liquid. So although I was Gampy like, fries. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hot scratchings. That's it. I mean, you could talk again about the food, but I certainly wasn't embracing that sort of lifestyle. So coming out of this other cycle from the sobriety days, one of the other points I tried to make, of course, leaving alcohol behind, throw myself into fitness, I removed myself from the environment that I felt I could no longer stay in, which again, not possible for everybody else, but certainly I couldn't work in the pub trade anymore. I was now a manager of the pub and it just felt as if an environment, I was never going to get sober trying to keep that job going. So I took myself out of that area as well. And then I looked into how I was fueling myself. So of course, alcohol at times was often bringing me down, that sort of depression, sort of anxiety, the financial sort of implications of it but also how I was feeling myself food-wise and various bits in there. So I began cooking a lot from scratch again in these early days. I was, I was 22 stone in weight again at this point as well. So I'm very, you know, unhealthy looking. I'm very lethargic. I've not done exercise for years. So leaving that behind was one thing, but also if I, if I started eating crap food still, why would I expect myself to get feeling any better? As I'm still putting yeah. shit in, in a way. Um, so I began cooking from scratch again. I found it quite, I found cooking quite a mindful practice anyway, really. I think there was quite a few lost years where I didn't have the ability to. I mean, I didn't even have a kitchen in one of the places I was living, I think, at one point. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have anything. And um, <laughs> just it was like squatter's paradise where I think I was living. It was, it was <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was in there again. So that became a part of it. And then when I got into hiking, literally one friend turned at my doorstep one day and said, right, we're going to go for a hike. And I said, you are. I, I don't know what to I've never been on a hike before. I'm literally... Half from half 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 an hour from the Lake District's never been out in the hills before. And I just oh. put on what I had to hand, you know, this was an old pair of scappy trainers. I think I had some swimming shorts I put on and a jumper I'd wear down the pub. And he just took one look at me and said, You can't go out like that. I mean, look at the state. <laughs> and so he pulled up at this outdoor store on the way to the Lake District and he and he got these pair of boots off the shelf and put them on the counter and, and, and bought me these boots, which was which was a huge show of, you know, faith and support really. Again, because that's the other side of the alcohol. I mean, I was riddled with debt at this point where the credit cards I'd maxed out and inheritance I'd blown through and stuff. The other side of that. So I didn't have anything to my name. And they pulled it with the base of Blencafra. So for those of you who are on the bigger mountains in the Lake District, stared up at this mountainside and that moment of support 20 minutes prior, I'm now thinking, what the hell have I got myself in for here? <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, this is the second week in my sobriety. So again, I'm still, you know, going through these withdrawals. Yeah. I'm planning for my ex. I've just given up fags. I'm, I'm gasping all the time, coughing all sorts. You know, and literally now I'm getting frog marched up this hillside from a guy who basically <laughs> you know, couldn't run a bath. I literally spent five years just not doing any exercise or anything, just, just scoffing and, and I'm getting frog marched up this hillside, you know, one foot in front of the other. God knows how long it took. But eventually reaching this summit point and, you know, taking in this thing. And my friend just turned to me and said, right, well, we're doing, uh, we're doing Hell Ellen next week, which is, the, which is the third highest mountain in, in the Lake District. It's quite a baptism of fire, this. And the third week, there I am heading up the hillside, like Hell Ellen again. And getting to that top of that mountain just began feeling like, you know, an endorphin rush and a dopamine hit that I always tried to get from the bottle but without any of the negative. It was kind of that euphoric feeling that I wanted, that happiness, because I think also that's all this is about. I think we just want to be happy. And we try and get our dopamine hits in different ways, whether that falls through through drugs or through alcohol or through exercise or through adrenaline. There's there's different avenues. We channel it in different ways, certainly us who are more addictive tendencies. But reaching that top of that mountaintop just really sparked something in me. It was like a new addiction was being sparked. And and it began from there. So I started heading a lot more mountains in the Lake District. I found myself working in, in the environment there, again, a local cafe. So I was in that pot now. And I began then taking stuff I'd made at home, leftovers and packed lunches, 
out in the hills with me to enjoy on the tops. Because again, how I was feeling myself was important. Wouldn't be on the hills there. I liked my food. I've never been someone who likes the fast food culture, even though I was bagging nuts and chips back at one point. More necessity. So when I got into the outdoors, I was like, why Why do I have to eat crap food going in the outdoors? Like, Why does it yeah. always have to be meal packs and pot noodles? And I want to eat good food in the outdoors. So I started taking this up with me. And someone one day, jokingly, I think I was tucking into a nice risotto or panzanella salad I'd made or something up there. And they passed and went, oh, that looks nice. When well, they got the soggy sandwich out of the bag that was all squashed. And I said, why don't you get a stove and cook out here from scratch next time? Just as a bit of like a joke. And I just thought, you know what, I will. As <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I bought this camping stove and just literally just started trying to take my kitchen. I was doing a lot of cooking at home again now and trying to take what I was doing out there now into the outdoors. Obviously, cooking gave me a lot of joy. The outdoors has given me a lot of joy. Both were quite mindful practices for me. So I thought, well, will they go together? Well, you really and- do do like proper stuff. It's not like, yeah, like you say, it's not poo- not even just soup. Like I think soup's pretty good outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong with soup. Soup in a flask. But you do like meals, like big meals, <laughs> chop your vegetables and everything up there. Yeah, so, so at this point, I mean, I, I, I'd set up an Instagram account at this point as well. It was all an anonymous account. I'd, I'd called myself the Fell Foodie. Um, and looking back, I think in a way, I was still hiding behind a bit of a mask. I, I didn't share who I was. I didn't share any pictures of me. I didn't have my name on there. I chose a pseudonym to sort of hide behind that, I think. So like those early days of, you know, masking it with the alcohol, I was now masking this a bit differently there. So though I'd revealed to friends and family, I think I was still being a bit... You know, I, I was reluctant to say how, how I was in my life going forward. I was trying to rebuild things. And I, I never really had Instagram before. So I set up this account. And a work colleague had said to me, why didn't you get this? I was sharing pictures of my dinner to a lot of work colleagues, like one of them people. And they said, why didn't you get an Instagram? Oh, one there? of them people. <laughs> I know, I know. So I didn't want to be a... I didn't want to put on my Facebook page and annoy my Facebook friends. I had this anonymous account I set up. And of course, the, in this area, we call the Hills Fells. So I was very much a nod to my, my, my being proud of being the area where I'm from. And foodie, just trying to be a bit of a less pretentious gastronome, really. And I just sort of started sharing the views I was experiencing on the hilltops and the meals at the time that I was either cooking at home or the packed lunches I was taking out. And when I started cooking out there from scratch, I began sharing that. And it was the plate of food and the views. And it seems to spark a bit of interest, I suppose, a bit of a slightly more unique yeah. take that was getting um, a bit more interest, a bit more following on there. And now in 2018, my second year sober, 6th of June, 2018, I decided to share my story in its entirety now on this new platform to a new audience in a way. So it's kind of really revealing sort of who I was in yeah. a way and also putting it out there. And just like that first time that that outpouring of support, tales of similarity, um, you know, people who have gone through moments perhaps who, who had lost partners or, or sons and daughters to either alcoholism or, or suicide. And the stories came out, people who found the outdoors for similar reasons. So it was hugely empowering and humbling and and um, supportive. And and it also led on to a bit of a snowball. So I got asked to do a local piece in, some, in a local magazine, which I did. I did a little local television. So again, it went from being something that I'd never have shared this story in the mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, not in the mirror of the paper, but in the mirror of myself. The actual mirror you're <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and um to, to all of a sudden now you you quite warts and all, you start wearing this cross on your chest and going, just like I you know, I, I just I, I would never have spoken about this at all in my life. And it kind of it was now just going, Well, I feel as if I can articulate what I've been through. I feel as if I'm on a better, better path in myself. And if if I can sort of I felt so alone in what I was going through, 
that if I can share this and someone else feels less alone and perhaps seek something from it, then it had great purpose. And purpose was something yeah. I really struggled with for a long time. What was my purpose and what was it? And I don't know if you need to really have one, to be fair, but I think for me it was something that was quite, quite oh, driven I think by. you do. I think you have to have a purpose. I think everybody has to have a purpose. Otherwise, mm. they do what you were doing and they do what we were doing. I, I, I think that's where a lot of drinking and drug use comes from is feeling purposeless. I think helping people is a really good purpose. And I think very much like you, Harrison, when I stopped drinking, I shared it on my Facebook straight away. Mm. I felt horrific and I was like, that's it. I've had enough. I was just going to start off with 100 days. But actually what happened was the support that I got for that 100 days was incredible. And the more I started sharing it, the more people would drop me a message and be like, oh my God, how are you doing this? Because I've realized that wine's crept in every day. Or And the more messages I got, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be quiet about this anymore because me sharing that story was helping people and they might not have been coming out loud and proud about it, but the amount of inboxes that I were getting was telling me that, hang on a minute, there's a need for something like this. It's not just me. I'm not just on my own. So I think that for me gave me purpose for for stopping. I'd always grown up and just wanted to help people. And that that's what I used to say when I was at school. They'd be like, what do you want to do when you're older? And I'm like, I don't know, but I want to help people. And I never knew how that would come. I never thought it would be through stopping drinking. <laughs> you know, like it's crazy. But um, yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent and just thought I'd share that. <laughs> no, that was great. I, mean, I was nodding away because I think I, 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 I found that similar path where you did start getting the messages from sometimes people you knew or friends of friends and stuff that you perhaps wouldn't even see as having an issue. And of course I would yeah. never, never reveal who they were. It was, but you were getting sort of those messages coming through, people asking for sort of support in there. And of course there was always a point of doing, you know, I was ne- I wasn't a medical professional. Of course I had lived experience. I was always yeah. someone that was like, I can't, you know, preach and tell you exactly what to do here. And I think some people maybe move into that path and, you know, you get two months of right under the belt and all of a sudden they're there. Waving, waving the flag and selling the courses, aren't they? Trying to get, you know, I'll tell yeah, you how to do it. Yeah. And you know, well, you need to almost have it in yourself in a way and push it on the right the right avenues. But I was certainly able to have those conversations and share things I'd gone through personally about this. But just having that conversation, as you say, open that up. Because it always takes someone to have that first step in a way. I mean, you see it, that like be sober weekend sometimes. I mean, that's maybe a slightly different path because everyone's gone through their own almost epiphanies in a way or in the early stages. Yeah. But usually at group events like that, everyone gathers and everyone sort of is quite... Right, who's going to talk first? Who's who's going to reach out? And the minute someone starts talking, the whole room seems to open up. So if you're so in that person speaking out online, falls out, yeah, absolutely. Then you're going to cause that conversation to begin, aren't you? And you, yeah, you were present at our sharing circle, weren't you? Afterwards, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you saw yeah. all the amazing people just standing up and talk. Yeah, of course, I forgot about that. I forgot yeah. you were there. Do they say of course, some of them, like... some of them was their first time ever, wasn't it? So they never revealed it before to anybody other than they'd come on yeah, the weekend yeah. almost anonymously, even though not quite, but. And, but that was it. And they just felt like, I'm not going to share anything. I'm just going to come and take it in. And all of a sudden they were standing up and sharing. It's amazing, really. You know, just, I mean, I suppose a safe space in a way as well, feeling that you, you're in a bit of that... Um, they say, don't they, that shape dies when you're in safe spaces. And that's something that kind of... I love that. And I love that about our group and when we do, we have like Zoom meetings and shares that way. And it's so interesting because you come... you go to one of these meetings and share something that you're ashamed about or, you know, that you've been holding on to for all this time. And a lot of the time in our meetings, you'll get 
what that is it oh my god you should have heard what i did and all of a sudden the shame for that person has died it's gone it's they feel better and i think it's so important to have these spaces and what we find with be sober is it's a lot more female orientated it's not deliberately been that way but i think it's nice so do you get to kind of share with other men is the spaces to do this no, I think this is something you still notice in terms of how it does seem as if even the sober community online, there's a lot more yeah. people out there, larger female accounts or, or those identifying that way. They're speaking out more about this. There's a lot less blokes doing so. And I think that's kind of... the. I think blokes are less likely to put themselves out there in that vulnerability at times. I think that the, 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 the bit that's improving, I think, is people are speaking behind the scenes more now. Yeah. I think there are there's blokes sort of that are reaching out in the DMs and all and having the chat there, but it's still sort of a little bit guarded, a little bit there. Perhaps that fear of, of coming across as vulnerable or coming across as you know as, as weak, how they perceive it as weakness, which it really isn't yeah. at all. And that's something that's still quite ingrained, which it does feel as if it is something that is almost you know instinctual in a way. And even like I was saying before about those groups in there, you feel like when you get a group of women together, it seems to open up more naturally, where the blokes will tend to be there kicking the soil and kicking, kicking the ground for a while, looking, yeah. looking, looking anywhere but the eyes. And it takes a lot longer for that group to open up. But once mm-hmm. someone makes that step, it seems to then go out, oh, okay, they, they, they feel a bit safer to do so. You do notice that in, in sort of the same sex groups, I find quite a lot in that path. But I think, you know, if I can lend my voice to that, then that's only going to be a good thing there as well with the mental health side and, and the drinking wise. And Because I think it's, it's obviously, again, it's... It, it does seem to be one that the stigma is definitely far better. It's definitely um, dissipated from when I was younger, but I think it's still something that you sometimes get yourself in an echo chamber online of thinking that, oh, it's all improved. Everyone talks about this all the time now. Yeah. Because those people that are following you, of course, are, are that same mindset. That's what I think. I really believed that the world was changing. And I went out on a Christmas do a couple of years ago and I was gobsmacked i'd gone like to this hotel they didn't have any alcohol free drinks somebody were trying to force me to have a sambuca like there was so much and i was like what this shit still happens and it's because i've just been surrounded by sober people sober online on my facebook social media that were i go to sober things but also things like walking you don't find that many people that drink a lot or yoga classes, things like that. So, yeah, I can't believe it still goes on, but it does, apparently. <laughs> well, that was a huge realisation as well. In the early days of, of sobriety, I think, in terms of, you know, how ingrained it... I mean, I knew, obviously, it was quite a cultural thing, certainly in this country. I mean, in terms of yeah. it, it just feels that we do... We're almost proud of that state. And in, in a way, I, I enjoyed that aspect as well. I mean, I think there were still some great times in there, and I still... I'm someone that I still like to go out... This day, I'm not someone that has to remove myself from that. And I think in the early days, again, I never wanted it to be a taboo. I knew yeah. I was giving up alcohol, but I didn't want to give up my life in a way. I didn't want to be like, I can't go on any events, and if you don't want to get invited yeah. to, to weddings and things, I wanted to be in there. But I appreciate for some people that that's too too tempting for some. I mean, I was never someone that was crossing the road when the off license was there or going down a different yeah. aisle at the supermarket. But I'd actually taken myself to the pub quite a lot by myself at the time, which was a bit ridiculous. But and there was a quote that I really enjoyed about sitting in the barber's chair 
And the more the more times you sit in the barber's chair, <laughs> the more likely you are to get a haircut. And I thought, this is me. I'm going to the pub every week. I've got a journal at this point. I'm just having a coke or a tonic, and I'm sitting in the corner, sort of feeling a bit like a wolf among the sheep. Yeah, uh, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm also one time I went there and I got served a gin and tonic when I ordered this tonic, and I remember going to my lips and being like, "Hang on, there's gin in here." And your mind yeah. was going all of a sudden going, "No one will know if you have this. Just you, you, only you know you've been served this." But literally turned it turned it away and walked out this pub and just felt, it felt as if that was that could have been the slope, slippery slope again. So the complacency yeah. can be there. Yeah, I yeah. think always have to be aware of that, but. But I also wanted it to be an environment that didn't become alien to me because I really there were some great moments in those past two, and I think there are still people that go there just you know just for a Sunday Sunday dinner for an hour and go again. I mean that's that's you know that's, that's do they though Harrison? <laughs> do they? <laughs> I mean, it seems so. It seems so. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, it seems people can do that. I, mean, I don't know how they can. It's a bit like the biscuits. I, I can never put a pack of biscuits back in the cupboard. I think I'm just that sort of mentality. If they're open, they all go. I think when when we all get to meet, and again, like in our Zooms and stuff, one one thing that we all find is we're very all or nothing. We all mm. kind of have that in common. Um, so there is probably people that can go and have a Sunday lunch <laughs> and a glass of wine. I don't Just know don't who they are. I've never <laughs> met them either. I've never met them either. I remember going to um, a, like a group thing once, a, a meal, and they were, they were doing like, it was with Catherine Gray that wrote The mm. Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, and they were doing like a Q&A. And a girl stood up and she was like, but I only have a couple of drinks and I might not want to stop drinking forever, right? And I remember just thinking, no, is she going to answer this? So she just looked at her and she went, well, don't then. If you, if you don't have a problem with drinking, then don't stop drinking. Like, And we all kind of went, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was so, I don't know why she was there that day. I do not know. Clearly, that might not have been true to go to <laughs> this event. But she was like, if you don't want to stop drinking, don't stop drinking. And I think sometimes when we do our workplace talks, in it, Alex, we always promise to not come across preachy. And we're like, we if you don't have a problem with drinking. And the number of people who say we don't want you to be preachy, so there must be a lot of preachy people out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they must. But well, you do see that, don't you? People, oh, you see on. people do that, don't you, in terms of even like... Smoking and stuff, all of a sudden becomes the high and mighty, I guess, isn't it? Going, oh, I've stopped now. I wouldn't be seeing a cigarette. And I, I, coughing when someone else smokes around you, that sort yeah. of stuff. And, <laughs> you do but, see it, yeah. But I've always been that way. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I, I've never become sort of that preacher, I don't think, because I don't, I don't, I think I appreciate some people, you know, enjoy that craft and bits in there. And of course, I think they can be slippery slopes to it, can be a dangerous tool. I think there are negatives to it. But I think those who maybe don't have that all or nothing personality. Yeah can quite happily enjoy a bit in there so for me i've never been someone that's going right it's all or nothing i just know for me it hasn't got a place in my life because it's something that i can't yeah. handle and just it's almost like an allergy in a way in a way i think the way it sort of deals with that sort of way so although i was maybe a bit of a pusher when i was a drinker i'm certainly not a pusher as a non-drinker and i think that it's yeah. one of those that in these circles of course to some people there are great negatives bits on these and perhaps you know the marketing side of things and how often it is and you saw it everywhere when you stopped drinking it was literally every magazine you opened and the billboards you look to pass it was really like when difficult you buy a red avoid. car isn't it you know like you buy yeah, a red car and everybody's yeah. in red cars it is I, I remember set, that was the first thing I said to Lisa I'm going to give a 30 day break that was Sunday and on Monday I couldn't stop thinking about it I'd never thought about yeah. drinking on a Monday ever until <laughs> I decided I wasn't I think you know you're just saying that about you don't I think I am a sober pusher I, I you are <laughs> yeah, I mean, I let me just take out any sort of concern that you might yeah, not I am. be you I, are. I was a shop pusher and now I'm a sober pusher. She actually is. Last week we had um, Professor David not on our podcast, so the episode before you're due out to go out on. And he 
said how he was too old to now give up drinking, but his drinking was very moderate and he was handling it. Lisa didn't accept that. She was going, no, you're not. You no, I didn't. What I said was like, why? <laughs> he he is the man, right? You did tell him he wasn't told too the old. World, he told the world and the government that alcohol was the number one worst drug. Yeah? Yeah. And he still drinks on a weekend. I wanted to know why. Like, why would you do that? And, and then when he said he was too old to change, she told him he wasn't and he needed to try our sober experiment. Sober pusher. <laughs> well, he isn't too old to change. I thought that was a silly thing to say. <laughs> Professor or not, you are not too old to change. She so yeah, absolutely maybe, isn't. Maybe I'm a sober pusher. She is right, a sober pusher. Oh, we go because I am so conscious of time. Harrison, will you just please tell us um about your book, where people can find you and where where they can get this book, please. Bless you, that's very kind. I know we've got to about 2018, the journey so far, haven't we? We're, quite, we're, still, we're still quite a few years <laughs> behind. I'll have you back on for the yeah, next instalment. This is it when you get three people who can all talk in the room together. It's going to uh, <laughs> go, goes off on tangents. Um, but yeah, but these days I'm best known as the fell foodie. I'm an outdoor cook. I'm based in the Lake Districts and I go up and try and cook quite extravagant meals on a camping stove um, up in the mountains, but also on camping adventures down by the beach and just really tying in food and adventure together so i've been lucky recently to put together my debut book um 85 recipes all designed around um, cooking and eating in the outdoors to enjoy if you sort of caravanners camper vanners out there even just going for a dog walk something to make up at home pop it in a food flask and just sit on a nice park bench and i think the value of time in the outdoors for mental and physical well-being is fantastic and i also love good food when i'm out there so i think it's just tying the two in together you don't have to be taking all the stuff out there and cooking out there. You could just do the recipes at home. But likewise, if you want to take that step further, I think there is something quite primal um, of cooking in the outdoors that feels like a nod back to our ancestors. So I've really enjoyed it. And um, my debut book's called Cookout, available at all all good bookstores. I'm enjoying saying that one. Uh, <laughs> there. And, uh, and yeah, but otherwise you can follow my journey. Uh, Fell Foodie on social media about my, my sobriety journey, mental health battles. We'll share your Instagram as well, definitely. Bless you, thank you. And then sometimes you might see me at events as well. You might see me at the Beer Sober or events, uh, outdoor events and festivals around the country demonstrating and talking. But it's been a pleasure to be on, though. Great to see you both again. We do have another question yet. You're not allowed to go yet. I wasn't going. I I was just, just, yeah. Yeah, You're not allowed to go yet. Get my niceties in before you cut off the Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Get the plug in. No, we need to know from you. Our motto is be brave, be kind, be sober. And what we need to know is which of those three do you most relate to right now and why? Be kind, be brave, be sober. Yeah. Choose one. Yeah. Um, Right now, I don't know if there's one for right now, but I think be kind is is always in there. But maybe not in the extent that obviously it gets pushed around online quite a lot, doesn't it, how it's all, how no one can be criticised when they do something horrific. It's like, be kind. (laughs) Be kind, though. It's it's like, well, hang on a minute. There's there's got to be criticism at some points in there, but constructive. But I think... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should put that as a caveat. (laughs) Be kind to nice people, right? (laughs) Um, But if you've done something stupid, you don't have to be kind. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's... Yeah, there's sometimes... It's not not the ultimate get-out, is it? I think you couldn't be standing in the court of law and be like, hang on a minute, be kind. I find with stuff like that, sometimes you do find nasty people are the ones to preach the be kind things. Mm. Yeah. I could go on one, but anyway, go on, Harrison. Yeah, it's, de- it's, definitely, it's definitely a, <laughs> it's definitely a Twitter slogan, well. I think. Um, but I think in, the, in that realm, though, I think for me, one of the things I've really come to terms with, I think, and really 
um, seen as a huge importance and perhaps, you know, again, quite a purpose for humans, I think, is is that perhaps not being kind, but, but certainly, I think, just passing on um, sort of good feelings, I think, to other people, I think, at times. I think where it's just treating people as you expect to be treated. I think you see it a lot in hospitality trade. Obviously, I've worked in quite a lot of times. I saw it a lot more, I think, when I was going through maybe this more of an awakening period, I guess, when I was coming off the yeah. off our call and looking around and seeing how people were rushing around and treating somebody else like crap in the street or they were waiting five seconds longer than somebody else at a coffee shop or something. It was just taking out on somebody else and it was always kind of like, hang on a minute, what what is that about and why are you bringing somebody else down? And you saw the impact it had on the other person when they walked out the shop and you were next and they were sort of, you know, looking down a bit more, a bit disgruntled. And I think it was passing on almost that kindness in a way a little bit. So normally, but not expecting it back. The unexpected yeah. acts in a way, I think, at times. So I think that's really something that you never know where one little comment offhand is going to go, both negative or positive. You could say one thing off the cuff that could be something that rolls around in someone's head for years on end as a criticism oh, yeah. themselves. But as a positive, if you do that, I think that's something that can really uplift someone's day and it takes nothing yeah. of your time. So if it's just even letting someone else go first on something or opening the door, letting them go first in the queue, passing on something else there, I just think the little acts in there, perhaps rather than rather than be kind, more with little acts of kindness, I think is always a thing. Um, You're the first person to ever change um, try and change our at all, sorry. I like it. <laughs> Pay it forward. Pay it forward. I like we're, we're, that. We're just, we're just stripping it. We're just stripping it apart slightly. Different connotation. <laughs> you know, we're just we're looking at the semiotics of the of the slogan. <laughs> it's a, no, do you know what? Genuinely, it's a really good way of looking at it because yeah, it's not always about being kind, but it is about treating people how you want to be treated and passing that on and and doing things in a nice. It is kind, and it is a kind way. Doing it in a yeah. kind way. Yeah, that's it. You never know what a little, what a little comment can do on somebody. You don't know what they're going through. You never lifting uh, smile. Yeah, I do unless, like unless that. you walk a day in their shoes, you don't know what they're going through. Do you? And sometimes people are putting on that brave face again, putting that mask on as we all do at times. But a little comment there sometimes can just be, you know, a negative comment can take that down a downward spiral. But it doesn't have to be, you know, a huge compliment in there. Look what they're doing, but just even just to, you know, a thank you when the door gets held, or even just to yeah. you go first in the queue. Sort of thing. Little, just little bits. You just don't know what sometimes is going on. I think they can they can go a long way. Oh, thank you so much, Harrison, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I can see Lisa's dog's actually attacking him. And she's he just is, like, honestly. <laughs> it's been so good. And then he decided to come alive just as we're doing podcasts. And he's getting away with stuff that he would never, ever get away with. He's literally hanging off my jumper. What so I think Lisa was about to say thank jumper. you so much for coming on. <laughs> Bless him, there he is. I know he's made a right cameo in this podcast, the dog, hasn't he? For those that uh, don't yeah, see the video. Yeah. He's appeared on every podcast since she's had him, Harrison, honestly. He's, he's been on every single podcast. She picks him up and shows him. Anyone who's only on audio, which is the vast majority of our audience, they, they have no idea what's going on. They just hear us talking about George the whole time. Yeah, George. <laughs> He's going, he's going to puppy school now, though, so he'll be more well-behaved, which means he won't be making an appearance as much. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, forget George. George is going. Right, Harrison, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you both. It's been a pleasure. All right, we'll thank you. See you soon. later. Catch you My soon. Boy, it's funny then. Speak to you soon. Oh, Thank you for tuning into our podcast. We really do appreciate your support. So to stay updated with our latest episodes, be sure to follow or subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to share the Be Sober Love with your friends, helping us reach even more people. 
If you're interested in learning more about the impactful work we do, or you want to become part of our incredible Be Sober community, visit our website at besoberofficial.com. There you'll find all the information you need and discover how you can get involved. We look forward to welcoming you into our community of changemakers. Until next time, be brave, be kind, and be sober. sober.